Stanley, see this? This is this. This ain't something else. This is this. The Deer Hunter was only Michael Cimino's second outing as a feature film director. Yet, the Vietnam War picture won him the Academy Award for Best Directing. Such was the Deer Hunter's reputation around Hollywood that even before it was released into theatres, Cimino had negotiated a deal for his next picture. Where the Deer Hunter had dared to examine a near-contemporary catastrophe, Cimino's next picture dared to examine an historical one. Cimino proposed an ambitious western very loosely based on what was, for quite a while, an obscure and little-known event in American history. That event was referred to as the Johnson County War, a murderous confrontation that occurred way out in the western state of Wyoming in 1892. That war took place when a small settlement of homesteaders was set upon by a band of killers and a sheriff's posse illegally hired by a large conglomerate of ranchers, the Wyoming Stock Growers Association. The association, a very wealthy and influential group, was aiming to drive out the new settlers for cattle rustling. When news spread of the association's action, the US President Benjamin Harrison called on the American cavalry to intervene on behalf of the homesteaders. I said Chimino's picture was loosely based on the event, and as he rewrote its history, he also poetically retitled the story Heaven's Gate. Under the guidance of the young Oscar-winning director, the story promised an epic sweep. Taking in the beautiful lands of Wyoming, the story would show the great waves of immigrants who travelled to the frontier state in the 1890s, as well as that era's enormous economic transformation from private enterprise to big business. Chimina's plot would also have politics and, of course, gun battles, as well as a pivotal love story. Everything about the way Chimino was envisaging the project suggested that Heaven's Gate would be a classic. He was hiring Oscar-winning cinematographer Vilmos Zygmunt, who had lit The Deer Hunter, as well as securing Oscar-winning production designer Tammy Larson, who had already dressed Clint Eastwood's western The Outlaw Josie Wales. And that is not to mention a cast including Chris Christopherson, Christopher Walken, Jeff Bridges, Mickey Rourke, John Hurt, and French actress Isabelle Hubert. In fact, Chimino was aiming to mount a production that would deliver the final, the last, the ultimate word on that most unique of American genres, the Western. But instead, and despite many people's best efforts, Heaven's Gate turned out to be a disaster of such destructive proportions, it brought to an end what is considered to be one of the finest eras in Hollywood's history. While every studio had artistic aspirations, no studio back then was more favoured by directors than United Artists. The name said it all. UA was founded in 1919, not by businessmen, accountants or executives, but by filmmakers. Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Fairbanks, Mary Pickford and D.W. Griffith all came together because they wanted to make art.
Although the studio never grew as big as, say, MGM or Fox, United Artists made original, personal and daring films. Midnight Cowboy was the first, and still is, the only X-rated film to ever win the Oscar for Best Picture. UA also bankrolled Apocalypse Now when no one else would touch it, and the same with Raging Bull. By 1978, they had scored an unprecedented hat-trick, winning Best Picture three years in a row. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, Rocky, and Annie Hall balanced art and economics as Hollywood had never seen before. Yet in that same year, the entire board of United Artists resigned. Why? With their hat-trick of wins, they decided the time was right to break away and set up their own studio, Orion Pictures. Their sudden departure left a power vacuum at United Artists, and into that breach stepped comparative novices David Field and Stephen Bach. On the 25th of September 1978, Field and Bach sat down for their first meeting to discuss future productions. Their very first decision was to finance Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. Before The Deer Hunter was released, Michael Cimino had been showing his script for Heaven's Gate around Hollywood. Everyone had passed but in the wake of the board's departure, United Artists needed to show Hollywood they still had muscle and show directors they were still artist-friendly. Advanced word on the deer hunter was strong, and so Field and Bach sat down to watch it. Impressed, they then read the script for Heaven's Gate. Another executive, one from the previous board of management, had already read it and found it contentious, bleak and depressing to the point of uncommercial. But that was before the word had started to build on the deer hunter. Making a film about America's intervention in Vietnam may have been contentious, bleak and depressing, but the word was that Chimino had made something compelling, captivating, commercial. With his stock on the rise, Field and Bach overturned the initial decision and agreed to give the director 7.5 million to make his movie. But before a frame had been filmed, the budget had risen to $11 million. Things got worse on the night of the Oscars. The Deer Hunter won five awards, with Chimino bagging two, one for directing, another for producing. A week later, he began filming Heaven's Gate. One week after he began filming, a report came back from the set that Chimino was already one week behind schedule. By the end of the 12th day, the production was 10 days behind schedule. Chimino was endlessly shooting each take over and over and over again. And while he insisted nothing get in the way of him bringing to the screen exactly what he wanted, it immediately became evident that he had complete disregard for everyone and everything. Soon his demands were endangering the health and safety of his cast and crew. For instance, 
He insisted on using tripwires to upend galloping horses and carriages, and detonating live dynamite for the climactic battle. By that stage, the crew were calling him the Ayatollah Chimino. Filming dragged on into the summer and didn't finish until the following March. In the end, the total budget hit $44 million. This was in the era when the average cost of a film was $8.5 million. The average cost of a Hollywood production today is $110 million. So in real terms, if you were to make Heaven's Gate now, it would cost over half a billion dollars. When the film was finally released, an entire year late, the critics savaged it. Vincent Camby called it an unqualified disaster. Roger Ebert said it was the most scandalous cinematic waste he had ever seen. But while the critics went at the film with their machetes, the audiences stayed away in their droves. It grossed in less than $2 million at the box office. And the loss was so great, United Artists ceased to exist as an entity. Heaven's Gate not only sank a studio, it marked the end of an era. Directors no longer had the creative control they so cherished. Instead of the personal visions of directors, the audience, especially the teenage audience, took control. Rather than original, personal and daring, you got sequels, prequels and reboots. Movies based on TV shows, comic books and computer games. More than 30 years on, does Heaven's Gate deserve reappraisal? To some, it's a masterpiece. I disagree. I think those who defend it see it as a work wrongly maligned, and so have gone to the other extreme in support. It's no masterpiece. It's not even a flawed masterpiece. Once you get down to its bare bones, what you get is something obese. How obese? Look at the 1953 Western Shane, directed by George Stevens and starring Alan Ladd. That story is adapted from a 1949 novel that its author, Jack Schaefer, based very loosely on the Johnson County War. Directing Shane, George Stevens also went over budget and behind schedule. But while he also exacted an obsessive control of the material, Stevens never lost sight of the story. And so his film has a strong narrative spine and delivers a lasting mythic quality. What gets you about Heaven's Gate is neither the story, nor the beauty of the images, nor the music, but the sheer excess. Yes, admittedly, there are some incredible vistas. Tambi Larson's set designs for the burgeoning town of Casper are breathtaking. And Vilmos Zygmunt's lens never fails to present the epic scale of the story. In addition, there are two stunning set pieces. 
1870 sequence that opens the picture where the privileged Harvard graduates waltz to Strauss's Blue Danube. And then, 20 years later, way out west in Wyoming, in a rough and ready barn called Heaven's Gate, the struggling immigrants go about on roller skates. All historically accurate, it echoes not only the earlier walls, but also consciously harkens back to one of John Ford's mid-career masterpieces, My Darling Clementine. Where Ford's scene is modest and intimate, Chimino's is suitably hectic and boisterous. But beyond that, there is little more than massive setting after massive setting. Everything is about size. Chimino, mimicking his cinematic idols, Lucina Visconti and Akira Kurosawa, went for length and breadth, but completely missed the depth that those two giants infused into their work. As a consequence, Chimino confused scale with substance and mistook pessimism for profundity. His plot is badly constructed. His characters neither engage nor intrigue, and consequently, he provides no sense of understanding or intimacy. But as I said, the cinematography, production design and score are beautiful. But if a film doesn't care for its characters, even beauty loses its attraction. After that, it becomes a distraction and then it becomes repellent. In terms of humanity, Heaven's Gate cares for nothing because it believes in nothing. In a phrase, it is obese nihilism. Here is how obese it is. The film is 3 hours 39 minutes long, and in that time you can watch two truly great westerns, High Noon and My Darling Clementine. <laughs>